if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to either turn them on or open them up to the book of Colossians. This was written about 2,000 years ago to a church at Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And this church uh, was not too far from several other churches. It was in a beautiful valley, not unlike Baker City. There were mountains uh, around it, and uh, a lot of the same issues that they were dealing with, I believe, we deal with today. And, And God inspired the Apostle Paul to write to them, and he's kept it and preserved it for us in the Bible. And we are in... Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, but we're really going to focus on verses 12 through 14, and we want to give you some context, what we've been going over for some time, as you can see on the slide behind me, how to seek and set your mind on the things that are above. And the very first thing is you put to death what is earthly in you. And we covered that in the past weeks, we'll read through it briefly this morning, and then He describes this idea of putting on and what that looks like. So really at a basic level, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, more than likely someone at some point in your life shared that with you. And you go, all right, what do I do next? And they go, you got to go to church. And you go, okay, I can go to church. That's easy. It requires nothing of me. You just show up and and maybe you're a little late to lunch and other people beat, beat you to your favorite lunch spot. That's about it. And then you go, what else do I need to do? And they're like, well, you need to go to a Bible study. You need to read the Bible. You need to pray. And you need to give, whether you serve and give money and that sort of stuff. And you're like, "Eh, okay, I can do that. Those people are pretty nice. But what you might not have really understood, and maybe no one ever explained to you, was the very basics of how to walk and live for Jesus every day outside of these church walls. And that's where that relationship with God really is formed and occurs. This is just an expression of that relationship on Sunday mornings. And so this isn't a bunch of to-do lists. This is about transforming who you are. It's an internal transformation. So let me set the scene for you, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 in the book of Colossians. If then you've been raised with Christ... So he's saying, if you've made this decision, in other words, you're dying to your old self, you've chosen to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're raised a new person, you're born again. So that's the foundation. If you haven't done that, then you're living for this world. You're just, this is the best that you got, whatever this world has to offer. Someday it, your life is going to end, and, it, and for you it's going to end in the grave, but Scripture says it goes on beyond that. But for you, your best hope is just this life in this world, and, and that's what the world is being taught. That's the theory of evolution, the idea that we were not created beings, but we just occurred out of chance. So you, there's actually no purpose other than what you decide. And for whatever decision you make, it just lasts as long as you're alive. But here, their perspective is, if you've chosen to die to this world and to trust in Jesus Christ, then listen up. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things of earth. That sounds very churchy and very religious, but that's kind of challenging, right? You're like, I've never been above. How am I supposed to set my mind on things above? 
Well, he's going to explain this. And he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life. So right off the bat, you understand that your life is no longer the American dream. Get an education, get a good job, get a house, have kids, and then wait to have grandkids and slowly ease your way into retirement, have fun, and then die. That's not in the Bible. Some of that's in the Bible, but that's not the plan. Christ is your life. And for some of you in here, that might sound really good. And others, you're like, man, I, I don't want to give up all that other stuff. But what you don't realize is you are going to give up all that other stuff. It's just a matter of when. And not only that, but that other stuff doesn't bring peace, hope, and, and it's not eternal. So if Christ is your life, and we're going to look at what that looks like very practically here. When Christ, who is your life, appears, the Bible says once again that someday Christ will return. And during that time, depending upon your view of the book of Revelation and how that looks, Christ will rule and reign for all of eternity. He, he will come in love, but he will come in judgment as well for those who don't know him. And so when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also Notice, regardless of your view of the end times, this is what happens. Then you also will appear with him in glory. So the Bible presents life as both now on this earth, but eternal. There's going to come a day where you're going to appear with Christ in glory. And it's hard to even explain what that looks like. It talks about light and goodness, love, peace. Basically, all the things opposite of what you often experience in this world. And he says this, Therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So as you set your mind on the things above and, and seek the things above, it, it's this idea of, all right, in light of Jesus, I need to do something internally. I need to make a decision. And we looked at it in the past couple weeks where this sort of terminology occurs in the Bible, where it says to be led by the Spirit or to uh, put on the things of the Spirit, this is what it means. It means to put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked, you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So essentially they were having this debate within the, the church there at Colossae, what it meant to walk and grow in Christ. Some were turning back to myths and, and Jewish uh, mosaic law sort of things to try to get them going. Today, here in Christianity, sometimes we turn to, well, if I just attend church enough, that will transform me. No, we can't transform you. The only person that can do it is you and God. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within you if you have that personal relationship, and you must make a choice to set your mind on and to put to death earthly things. And here's the crazy stuff. Some people realize there's all this, this nastiness going on in their life, sexual immorality, anger, wrath, malice, all this stuff. Yet they choose to keep that 
and just try to add stuff on to cover it up. And it's crazy. I mentioned earlier when we uh, were taking the Lord's Supper that I just got back from hiking. My wife loves to hike. Many of you know her. And uh, I at least try to humor her once a year and, and go with her. And I actually enjoy it. And we went with a friend. We went up to a place called Mirror Lake in Lakes Basin. It's a seven and a half mile hike. It felt like a hundred, but who's, who's whining here? Uh, seven and a half mile up to this beautiful basin in the Wallau Mountains, and, and there there's this beautiful lake, and you get to, to sit there with all the mosquitoes and eat, be eaten alive and, and eat bad food and sleep on the ground and say it's awesome. No, but it really was. Uh, here's the craziness. Ready? So when you're getting ready to go on this seven-and-a-half-mile hike in, you strap on this huge pack. We're not talking little day pack. We're not talking school pack. We're talking 35 pounds. And you strap it on, you're like, oh, this isn't too bad. But about mile six, as it, it, there's this vertical incline up to the, the top, you, you take a break and you take off that pack and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm done. I don't want to go any further. I can camp out here and enjoy the woods and maybe the mosquitoes will just kill me and I just won't have to deal with any anymore, right? You're thinking all these thoughts. And it's not ba- it was bad enough for me, but many of you know little Judy, my wife, and she has this big pack. She would literally have to lay down to get into the pack. She couldn't get the pack on, and she would struggle. Her little feet would, would be like in the air, and she would struggle forward. And we were trying not to laugh at her because I'm sure she was in pain. But, uh, so this idea that you would want to carry around this huge pack for the rest of your life, weighing you down is just ridiculous, Because you had a destination in mind, you were willing to carry it a little bit further. And so you finally arrive at this beautiful lake, and we take off our packs, and we're like, awesome, feels so good. And then you just take a little bit of water or food, and if you want to take a little day hikes or go explore the area, it's fun. Well, so often we come to the the cross of Christ, and he lightens our load. He takes off this burden of sin. And the pack, the heavy pack is dropped. But immediately, for some crazy reason, we strap it back on. And then not only that, but we try to, to strap on other stuff that, that Scripture really doesn't even command us to do. This kind of this works-based religion. And it gets heavier. All the while, the very purpose of Christ was not only to forgive us our sins, but to lighten that load, to unburden us. Jesus says his yoke is light. And yet we carry it around, all those sins weighing on us. And and here in Colossians, he says, put to death that stuff. Because quite frankly, it's really easy to look at that and think that's the solution and forget that there is a journey to where we're going. It's not just about putting on the pack, there's a journey and there's a place. And once you get there, you can put on some good stuff. And that's what we're going to focus on today. In verse 12, he says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together 
in perfect harmony. That sounds good, right? Do you like people who are loving, compassionate, kind? You're like, yes, but I don't want to be that person. Why don't we want to be that person? Here's, here's the thing that I discovered this past week. One, I hate technology. Two, when there's a technology problem that arises so much so that I have absolutely no hope of figuring it out. It's kind of like if you were to get in the car and you know nothing mechanical and you turn the key and nothing happens and you're like, I, I don't even know where the hood is at. Like You have no hope. You're walking. And if you're in the middle of somewhere where you can't walk to some place easily, you might die. And that was kind of the, the situation that I was facing with technology earlier this week. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, this is horrific. I just have no hope. I didn't understand what it was talking about until this, this point in this process. Let's look again here. It says, put to death what is earthly in you. In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. You see, there's this third thing in this, this um, formula. It's not just put off and put on. It's put off and put on in light of this third aspect. The scripture says you're to put off and put on in light of Jesus, who is your life, right? So you need to be growing in Jesus. You need to, be, you need to know what God's word says about Jesus. Not just, oh, I think there is a God, he created the world. But what does scripture say and promise about this individual who loves you? And so in light of that, you do certain things. In my case, in light of this overwhelming technology issue, I had a choice of whether to put to death or to put on. And so, overwhelming technology issue, the world's crashing down. Which do you think I wanted to do? Do you, want, do you think I drifted towards anger, wrath, and malice and taking a hammer to the computer? Or do you think I was like, oh, this is awesome. Kindness, compassionate hearts. I bet those people who made this computer so hard, I bet they were just loving people and just made a mistake that day. Which do you think I gravitated towards, right? So you have to understand that this process of putting to death and putting on occurs in reality. You probably have a boss that you might not like. You have someone in your life that is making your life very difficult. Maybe it's someone who claimed to love you. Maybe it's a child, a grandchild, something in your life. And so you have to be honest enough to recognize that and address it. Because your reaction to it is, it's going to seem overwhelmingly difficult and impossible unless you realize whatever situation you're facing has to be addressed. You have to know what Scripture says about that, whether it's work, school, kids, family, whatever. You have to view them through the light of Christ. And then it's, you make this decision of putting on. Putting on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Hold your place there. We looked at this a little bit earlier in the Lord's Supper. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 3 through 12. This gets a little bit deeper into this idea of identity, this lens through which we're looking. Because he reminds us here, who are you? It's not just putting off and putting on in the lens of I'm a Bakerite. I'm an Oregonian. And what's crazy is today after church, you'll be talking to people how they identify themselves. Some people identify themselves as American. Some people will identify themselves as from the Northwest. 
Some people will identify themselves as from Baker. Others will identify according to race. Others will identify according to their politics. This is what Scripture says you should identify yourself as. In verse 12 of Colossians, it says, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 12, go a little bit deeper into this. Beginning in verse 3, it says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen, just as verse 12 in Colossians 3 says, you were chosen or elect and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Sound familiar? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is your purpose now. It's no longer the American dream. You are a holy priesthood. And this was so hard in the New Testament church because he's using imagery and phrases that would describe the nation of Israel. And he's saying, this is you. There is one people of God. We don't care about Jew or Gentile here. It's all who are in Christ. And you are a chosen people. Do you view yourself like that? I view myself as a victim of a, a, a hiker's uh, dream to go to a, a, a lake, right? I, I can view myself as a victim of, I didn't get enough love as a, as a kid, therefore I'm, I'm broken. I, I don't know. I can view myself through a lot of lenses. Some fun, some not. But do you ever get up like Monday morning like, yeah, I'm a holy priesthood. Got to go to Walmart today, straighten those folks out. Head to LeGrand. Do you, do, you, do you yourself going to school? Like, I'm a holy priest. But he's saying to be a holy priesthood, and notice this, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. These spiritual sacrifices are what Colossians is talking about. This decision for you to put off or put to death what is earthly in you, and to put on what is pleasing to God. He continues, verse 6, For it stands, in, or it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, and for those who do not believe, the stone that builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word, and they were destined to do so. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You've been purchased with a price. Your life is not your own. How are you going to live it? 
It doesn't just involve going from place to place, but it involves a change of your identity. You are not Republican. You are not Democrat. You are not conservative. You're not liberal. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. With that in mind, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday coming up, your decisions, your thinking changes. You're no longer thinking about what you're going to accomplish. You're now thinking about who you're going to be. Every problem that you deal with isn't necessarily a problem. Whether it continues or doesn't, doesn't really matter. It's who are you going to be within that problem? Me, I was full of fear and worry in my problem with technology. I was, I was really kind of saddened because of how it would affect others. I wasn't trusting in God to take care of certain situations. Maybe that describes you. Who are you going to be? He says, put on, back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, as his elect or his holy priesthood, you are loved. Therefore, put on compassionate hearts. Do you have a compassionate heart? Do you ever think, boy, I need a compassionate heart. I need to start doing that. No, I'm thinking, I'm getting kind of hungry. I need lone pine is what I need. Let's be honest, right? This, we're supposed to be truthful in church. Compassionate hearts. What if everyone in your life had a compassionate heart? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, they're thinking the same thing about you. They really are. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Do you realize that even the world wants humility? Here's this amazing thing, and, and we're, we're running short on time. We started out uh, a little long, but just ha have a little bit of patience with me. Humility. Do you realize the greatest judicial system in the entire world that exists, exists in this country, as flawed as, as it is? And when you're selected for a jury, do you know that they don't give you a test to test your IQ. They're not looking for the smartest person in the world if you were, for instance, charged with murder and your life depended upon determining the truthfulness of that charge. They don't look for the smartest person in the world. As a matter of fact, they look to get rid of those people during that process of selecting a jury because those people typically are so arrogant in what they know, they're unwilling to process new information. Not only that, but they don't test the person and ask for their reasoning capabilities. They assume that the average person can reason well enough to make it through life. The thing they look for are people without biases and without prejudices that are humble enough just to honestly evaluate the evidence. If you've ever run across any unbeliever in your life that says, well, I don't believe, and they they, they sound like, well, they're just too smart and this Christianity thing is just too foolish for them or maybe they're just uh, really angry and, and basically have said, well, I hate God because of whatever. Understand you're never going to win going down that road. What you will win by is as you live out Christ with a compassionate heart and kindness and humility it's amazing what happens. People respond to that. And your only hope, if you ever come to know God, if you don't know him today, is to humble yourself before the Lord. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. 
humility, even the world recognizes the benefit and, and the ultimate supremacy of just humbling yourself. That's what we're to put on, humility. So in other words, if you're dealing with a bad situation in your life, before you begin getting angry and mad, how about looking at your own heart? Instead of in your arrogance and pride and, and, and just pride casting that first stone, maybe you humble yourself and saying, wait a minute, I'm not perfect, that other person isn't perfect. Let's seek the Lord in this situation. Put on humility, meekness, and patience. There could be a whole sermon on patience, but no one would come to it because they would be afraid, right? Patience. I had very little this past week. I know many of you would like to give me your kids to teach me patience, but uh, I'm, holding, I'm drawing the line. There's some things that I won't suffer. I get them for about an hour and a half a week, and that's enough. Oh, patience. You're actually to put that on. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. In order to forgive, there must be a complaint. Do you realize 90% of people will not complain? They'll just get angry. You have to be able to communicate if you want forgiveness. If you will not communicate, there will be no forgiveness. Because forgiveness requires repentance. Blanket forgiveness is universalism. And that is not, as the scripture says here, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. We don't give blanket forgiveness. You must repent. We give blanket love. We give blanket grace. But forgiveness, if you just automatically forgive someone without them repenting, you're actually hurting them. You're not allowing them to recognize their sin, and that sin has captured them. You have to speak the truth in love, and then once they recognize it, they are to repent, and you're to forgive them, as the Lord has forgiven you. Just as if you were to go on sinning today, that relationship with God is hurt because that sin impedes it. He doesn't just say, oh, that's okay in your life. He desires you to put off or put to death certain things and to put on others. And finally, we'll, we'll close with this. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I don't know what your experience as church has been, but you've had an experience here today within this body. Hopefully, you felt loved. But ultimately, it's between you and God. And I've realized that people who are unloving are not individuals who love God. You see, when you love God, you can put on love. But when you don't love God, you're, you're coming to a scenario, no matter how perfect everyone else is, you walk away angry or slighted or upset, like they weren't friendly enough or kind enough or the, the individual at the store didn't take your problem serious enough. You, you just go around angry. What I want to encourage you today, if you have to start this list and you want to put something on, understand what it means to love God and who He is. His unending grace, His mercy, His power and majesty, His promises. 
And in reflection, as I mentioned earlier, in light of Jesus, as you're trying to put that on, put on love. Because God is love, according to Scripture. You do that, it makes everything else easier because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's a cool thing. And that's a cool place to be in your life. Let's pray. Father, uh, I confess, I am not where I need to be. There's so much I need to put on and, and stuff I still need to put off. But Lord, help us to actually have these conversations outside of these walls. Help us not to talk about church, but help us to talk about what God's doing in our life. Help us to see ourselves as a holy nation. View life through that lens, Lord. And it's so hard. Help us to love one another, to be known for that love. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.